we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 15. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, they abundantly of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so should he complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this manner, I give my, my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for, for your giving to us. We thank you for um, the sacrifice that you freely gave and how you surrendered all the glory of heaven on our behalf. Guide us now as Tim comes and opens up your word. May uh, our spirits be receptive to your Holy Spirit, and may we learn and then obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, welcome. If you're not new, welcome back. We are uh, starting a two-week series looking at generosity. And if you don't know, we've been a church for a little over a year. Uh, so if you are new, this is a great time for you to join us. Uh, we believe God's just getting started with what he's doing in and through and around us as a church. And so we're glad you're here. It's a great time to jump in and get involved. Uh, but as I reflected on our year, there's been several people and churches who have given time, money, resources so that we're even here today. As I reflect on that, just this week on Thursday, a sequence of emails that I received from a guy at a construction company in Abilene, Texas. 
And he had a mutual friend who knew about our church, and he heard our story, watched our video, and just through a sequence of emails just said, hey, man, this is an amazing testimony of what God has done in and through you guys. And by the last email, he just said, hey, my construction company in Abilene, Texas, we give money at the end of the year to a few charitable uh, organizations, and we want to add Phoenix Bible Church to that list. And it's probably going to be a minimal amount, but that's not the point. The point is it's a guy at a construction company in Abilene, Texas, who's going to add our church in Phoenix to their end-of-year giving. And that's just one of several amazing, crazy stories of how God has provided so that we can even be here. And listen, I'm glad we're here. I love doing this on Sundays. I love that we get to express our devotion through singing to God in this place, in this part of Phoenix. I love that we get to preach through God's word. I love that people are beginning to see this mission lived out of loving Jesus, living like him, and leading others to him. I love that all of that is happening, but I don't want it to stop here. I don't want it to stop with us in this room. I want to see it move out, move out to the people in the city that haven't joined us yet, that still don't know Jesus, still aren't becoming like Jesus. I want to see it move out to those people. I want to see it move out as collectively as we join together as a body. I want to see it move out to the physical and the spiritual needs of our city that we can help make a dent in. I want to see it move out to the people and the places in this world that desperately need a declaration and a demonstration of the gospel. I want to be a part of that. And so the question is, how do we get there? It's generosity. It's generosity. As we think about a generous God who has served us so graciously, as we think about the other people and churches who have served us and given to us so graciously, we want to ask as a church, as individuals, how can we grow in our generosity? What does that look like? And that's what we're going to take two weeks to look at. Uh, this morning, Ron just read it, 2 Corinthians 8 is where we'll be. If you have a Bible, grab it and go there, 1 through 15. We're going to see the first thing in this passage is the grace of generosity. And so verses 1 through 5 you have the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. This is a church in a city that is struggling with a lot of things. If you've ever read First or Second Corinthians, they're wrestling with a lot of sin. They're learning what it means to follow Jesus and repent of that sin. And it's messy, but in the midst of that mess, Paul is challenging them to be generous. And he paints this picture for us of what gener generosity looks like, and he gives an unlikely Example. I mean, when we think about generous people, even in our day, who do we think of? We think of the people with a lot of money. We think of the people with an abundance of resources. We think of people with a lot, and they give out of that, and they're really generous people. But Paul doesn't pick that example. Look at the text. He picks the Macedonians. This is a group of churches that we read about in other letters in the New Testament, like Philippians, First and Second Thessalonians. And they're a poor and persecuted people. In fact, in this passage, if you look at the text, verse 2 tells us they're experiencing affliction and extreme poverty. And yet, they overflowed in a wealth of generosity. 
Verse three says they gave beyond their means. Verse four, they were begging to give. I mean, come on. At this point, the Corinthians reading this are probably a little annoyed with Paul. Like, really, Paul? They were begging to give. Nobody does that, right? You have to be exaggerating, but, but they were. And that's why Paul uses them as the model for this radical generosity. They were begging of how they could be a part of this mission by their giving. And some of you are thinking right now, well, it was different back then, right? I mean, it was different back then. It was easy to be generous. I mean, all they had was like rocks, sand, and maybe a hut. I mean, there wasn't even anything to spend money on. I mean, now it's more complicated. I mean, we got the mortgage, we got the bills, we got Netflix. I mean, it's way more complicated now than it was back then. But listen, you need to know they had money. We see over and over in Scripture, they paid taxes off of that money. And in fact, for them, it was a little bit more difficult because they didn't have the conveniences and the help that we have. They didn't have a bank or an ATM on every corner. They didn't have social services back then. So in some ways, it was more difficult for them to be generous than it is for you and I today. Do you see that? Their generosity is real. Their sacrifice is real. And Paul uses that as an example. And so the question we have to ask is, how? How? How does a poor and persecuted people go from here to a place of generosity over here? How does that happen? How do we bridge that gap? We see it in verse 1. It was rooted in grace. Verse 1 tells us God's grace was given to them that they had encountered the grace of God, his undeserved favor in their lives, and the manifestation of that grace was generosity. And I don't know if you've talked about money in church or generosity in church before, but I would imagine even in our culture, even if you don't know Jesus, grace and giving usually don't go together. Grace and getting is usually how we think. Grace and getting, not grace and giving. And I think that's partly because we don't realize how much we've been given. We don't realize how much we have. A research institute in Switzerland puts out a global wealth report. Listen to these stats. They said that people with $3,650 to their name, that's income, assets, retirements, that's the whole thing, $3,650, that those people make up the top 50% in the world regarding wealth. That people with $77,000 to their name, income, assets, retirements, the whole thing, they make up the top 10% of the world regarding wealth. So listen, I don't know where you are financially today or your resources, but you're probably richer than you thought you were. Like you probably have more than you realize when you look at the whole world. Christianity Today put out an article in 2013 on giving. They found that only uh, Christians in America only give, uh, give 10%. 10 to 25% of Christians in America only give 10%. The average Christian, though, gives more like 2.5% of their income per year. And that's just kind of as you look at it, at the whole world. And some of you are thinking, Tim, are you saying all this so we would just give to Phoenix Bible Church? Yes, I am. That's a part of it. I believe in what God is doing in and through our church. I hope you do too. I hope you want to give to see it grow. Absolutely. 
There's more to that. We're going to talk about that later. But yes, that's a part of it. But it's really even bigger than all of those things that we give to, that it teaches us something. And Paul is telling the Corinthians that if we really understand, if they really understand God's grace, we have to understand giving. Verse 5, look at that verse. It says they gave themselves, the Macedonians, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. That they submitted their lives to God and the outworking was generous hands. And the reality is this, the way to our hearts is through generous hands. That you don't really understand grace until you give it away yourself. That you don't really understand the vast measure of grace that you've received until you extend it out to someone else. That we learn about God's grace through generosity, that it's bigger than even what we give to. And that's what we see as we continue with the motive for generosity, verses 6 through 9. Verse 6, look at the verse. Paul moves from a model of generosity of the Macedonians to the application of it for the Corinthians and the church there. He says he sent Titus, that's one of his fellow leaders, to complete what they had begun. So they had started giving. Verse 7 Paul's saying he wants them to excel in it, to grow in that giving, just like you grow in everything else. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, grow in this act of grace. I love that. Twice in this passage, he refers to it as an act of grace, our generosity. And that we would grow in that, that the Corinthians would excel in that, just like you do in everything else. So he's saying, you guys know Jesus, your faith is growing Your thoughts about God are growing. Your knowledge of God is growing. Your words about God are growing. We want to see your generosity grow as well. We want to see you complete what you started. Jesus changes everything, even our money, even our resources. And Paul is challenging them to see that. And in verses 8 through 9, he explains why. Verse 8, Paul says, I don't want this to come across as a command, so it's not an obligation. It's a voluntary act that demonstrates love. We've been saying it a lot here, but love never stands still. It never does. Anything in life that you say you love, it's followed up by action. It's followed up by resources. It always is. And it is with our generosity. He says that if, we're, uh, if we have a heart changed by God, that we'll give, that we'll be generous. It's proof. Jesus says that. In Matthew 6, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And that's the real issue of generosity when you think about it. It's the heart. That your heart's affection will determine your money's direction. Do you see that? That your heart's affection determines your money's direction. That it always does. There's always a connection between the two. And so generosity says a lot more about our hearts than it does our wallets. It just does. And some of you, your response this morning is is hesitant. As you hear about money, as you hear about generosity, even right now, you're kind of just physically pulling back a little bit. Not sure I should have come on this Sunday, right? If that's you, I would ask, what's, what's behind that? What's behind that at a heart level? To say, like, I want to know God. I want to grow in my faith. I want to be encouraged by other believers. I want to connect. I want to do all of that, but don't talk about my money. I mean, that's kind of a sensitive area. Don't talk about the way I spend my money. But you need to know if that's you, 
our bank account, your bank account, is one of the biggest indicators of who or what you worship. And it, it is for us, for me and my family. There's times where we look at our bank account, and if we're honest, it looks like we worship the chicken sandwich <laughs> or nuggets or french fries, right? There's times where we look at our bank account and we're just rolling through that thing and we're just like, man, does this really reflect a heart captivated by Jesus? And so sometimes we have to shuffle things. We have to switch things around and make decisions and sacrifice things so that our hearts can reflect Jesus and what he has done for us and through us. So some of you are thinking like, well, Tim, why can't I just give but also get? Like, I really like to play golf. Are you saying I can't play golf? I mean, what's wrong with golf? You're going to take that away from me? i got to be a good Christian, and so I can't play golf? No. Golf is great. Chick-fil-A is fantastic. Do those things, and most of the time, listen, most of the time, it won't interfere with your being generous. It won't. But sometimes it will. And sometimes other things will. And you have to make decisions that reflect a heart attitude, a heart that's been changed by Jesus. Are we going to spend money here or here? Are we going to use our resources in this way or that way? What are we going to do with our time? And how does that reflect our heart? Because listen, all of you have possessions. We're part of the richest section of the world. But the reality is, if we're honest, sometimes our possessions can possess us. Sometimes your possessions can possess you. So that car payment that you can't get out from under, it's possessing you. You're not getting things. It's taking from you. Those clothes that you just go out and buy because you feel bad about something or you want to run to an escape, that's not providing satisfaction or rest. That's not giving to you. That's taking from you. And the reality is we all have those things in our life and we need to have times in our life. We accurately, prayerfully assess that with Jesus and we ask those hard questions. Are there things that I need to quit spending money and allocating resources to so that I can be generous with God and people? And we need to have those moments where we assess that. Generous hands always reveal a generous heart. Generous hands always reveal a generous heart. We see it in verse 9, the best picture in all of history. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So why do we give? Because Jesus gave us everything. If you just heard one thing today, why do we give? Why aren't we generous? Why aren't we talking about this in church? It's because Jesus gave us everything. And so there's no such a thing as a self-made man. Have you heard about that? There's no such thing as a self-made man. There's not self-made, there's only blood bought. That everything you have is grace. That everything you have is God's grace. That he has made you rich in his poverty. In his poverty that he left the glory of heaven to come to earth and be born in a barn. That he was arrested, humiliated, beaten, and killed. That he became poor, that you might become rich. Do you see that in your life? Do you feel rich in your life because of what Jesus has done for you? 
that you have been forgiven through Jesus, accepted through Jesus, adopted by Jesus, that you're sons and daughters of the most high God, secure in him forever, that in his poverty, he made you rich, that we give because Jesus has given us everything. And then we see the effect of that in verses 10 through 15. What happens when you're generous? We're gonna talk more about this in a couple weeks, but being generous benefits you and it supplies a need for others. So verses 10 through 11, it benefits you. Paul says that desire is great, but let's finish what you started. Let's follow through with this generosity that you actually get to be a part of the gospel going forth. That there's only two things that go on forever, the words of God, the souls of men. And so what are we investing in? Are we investing all of our time, money, and resources into things that will fade? Or are we investing in the forever kingdom that will never fade, that moth won't destroy, that won't go bad, that will always be there for eternity? What are you investing in? How are you spending your time, money, and resources? Where is it going? Verse 12, when you have that mindset, that you would give according to what you have. It's really simple. That you would give according to what you have. Some of you think, well, one day when I get this paid off, or I get this job, or this raise, and the reality is, it's never enough. Is it? I mean, have you ever been in a place where you just thought, I have enough. I have enough in the bank account, the checking account. I have enough in the savings account, the Roth IRA. We have enough things in our house that we're comfortable. The car works perfectly. We got the educational savings account set up for our kids. We have our vacation fund. I mean, have you ever been in that place where everything is in place and it's enough and you just sit back and fold your hands and take a nap? Not many of us are in that place. And the reality is, as soon as we get close to being in that place, it moves a little further off, doesn't it? Louis C.K., another brilliant philosopher of our day, don't listen to his comedy, I'm not endorsing it. But he hit this on the head. He said, everything's amazing and nobody's happy. Isn't that a good assessment of our culture? I mean, he exegeted our culture really, really well right then. He just didn't bring the gospel behind it, right? That's a great assessment of our culture. Everything's amazing. We have all that we could ever have or dream of, and yet nobody's happy. It's never enough. In those times when you get to those places where you think, maybe I'm close, you have a third child. Or you move. Or the fuel line in your Volvo bursts. I mean, I knew a guy once where those things happened. Maybe this week. It's never going to be enough. And so Paul is saying, quite simply, it's not complicated. Give according to what you have. Give according to what you have. And so there's an Old Testament principle of giving 10%. We're not going to get into that today. But listen, it may be more or less for you. For some of you, 10% may be impossible. For some of you, 10% may be not that big a deal. Maybe you need to give more than that. For some of you, that's a, it seems impossible right now. I would encourage you to get on a path. Like, how can I give according to what I have now? Not want to pay this off, not want to figure this out, not want to I get this much in my savings account. How can I do that now? Because the reality is, if you're faithful with little, you're going to be faithful with much. 
if you're not being generous in any way now in your resources, when you get more, you're not going to be then. There's always stuff that will come up and get in the way of that. It all comes back to the heart, that your heart's affection determines your money's direction. You give what you have, and the effect is a beautiful partnership. Look at verse 13 through 15. We see that it benefits others. Paul uses this word fairness a couple times. What he's communicating there is a partnership. Then in abundance, you supply the needs of others, and vice versa. If that happens for you, and there's a partnership in the gospel. And so listen, here's what that means. The church isn't just a building that you come and attend. It's not just food for thought that you take with you and you go off and you go back to the sidelines in your life and you sit on the bench and you think about it and you talk about it. It's not just those things. It's a a partnership and it's a beautiful partnership. If I can use a football analogy, because we're halfway through the season, the Cowboys are terrible, but I think it will help you. We're going to play flag football in two weeks as a church. We're going to get to use the ASU prep field. It's going to be amazing. But imagine if at that flag football game, we were in the huddle and we were drawing up some amazing plays in the dirt. Like we're going to do a reverse here. We're going to fake it there. We're going to run by here. We're going to spin here. And it's all going to lead to a touchdown. And it's going to be amazing. And imagine if we're all in that huddle and we break the huddle and everybody just goes to the sidelines and sits on the bench and thinks about the plays Those are some amazing plays. Talks to each other about the plays. Like, I really like that play. You know what? That's one of the best plays I've heard in a while. But we never come back on the field and execute the plays. We would get nothing done. There would be no partnership. There would be no execution of these amazing things that we were thinking about in that huddle. Listen, it's the same thing with church. It's a partnership. And so I love what we do on Sundays. I hope that you're encouraged by this message. I really do. I hope that it gives you some good thoughts, that it gives you some good conversations with your life. But I don't want it to stop there. It doesn't need to stop there. It doesn't send us back to the sidelines where we remain unaffected and unmoved. Not if we look at the words of God. Not if we see the partnership, the beautiful partnership in the gospel that we get to experience in the local church. No, it moves us out. And listen, I don't know how you're thinking about your time, your money, your resources, and maybe you're thinking, well, I don't have enough. I mean, what can I contribute? Listen, God has equipped you with everything you need, with what you have today. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, working through you. He's given you certain gifts that you have that somebody else doesn't have. And that we need to work together, joints working together. It talks about in Ephesians to be the body of Christ. It's a partnership. So a a dim view of the church is it's just something I come and attend. And I talk about with my friends. Like that was a good sermon. I like this. Didn't like that. That's not the picture of the church. It's a partnership. That when you have an abundance, you give out of that to others. And that that's reciprocated over and over. And it's a beautiful picture of what God has done in and through us as a church. And if you're new, if you've been with us for a while, I hope that whatever you get out of this today, that you see that God's wired you for generosity, that God's wired you for partnership. You're not meant to go to the sideline. You're meant to play in the game and execute and see this mission go forth. That's what God has 
called us to. And listen, this has been a process for us as a family. Um, There's times where we haven't had a lot of money. We were in seminary. We were broke. We lived in Dallas, and people ask us, like, what's it like to live in Dallas? And I'm like, I don't know. We went to class and church and our community group, and that's it. I didn't experience much of Dallas because we didn't have much money. There were times in our life we started out, we helped plant a church, and I didn't take a salary, and we raised support, and I started a business on the side. There were times we didn't have much money. And to be honest, those times we thought, like, you know, one day we'll be generous, but not, not now. We can't. And then there were other times where we had a little bit of money, but we were just disorganized with that money. And we just thought, well, you know, one day we can get an accountant, somebody to clean up our system, and then we'll give. And we had to get to a point early on in our marriage where we just repented of that. We just said, you know, it's not going to be that time, way down the road, when we have enough, and then we'll start doing it. No, this is a discipline of grace that we need to put in place in our lives today. And we need to organize it. And we need to figure it out. And we need to schedule it. And so we decided that we would give 10% to our church. And we began to do that. We scheduled it. We automated it. So it's not a decision. There's not a time in the month where we're like, hey, should we give to the church this month or not? It's going to happen. We schedule it. We calendar it. We make sure it happens. And then out of that, beyond that, we want to just bless people. And so once a month, we try to just bless Somebody in our sphere of influence. Somebody grab that door. That was a good ringtone. Um, We just want to bless people in our sphere of influence. So we have friends that are church planners, missionaries in other parts of the country, in other parts of the world. And and we just want to see how can we bless them. How can we give them a gift card, write them a note, send them a package, do something to bless people and to be generous. And the beauty of that is we get to be a part of something else that we're not even there for. Do you see that? That when you're generous, it benefits you. It glorifies God. It edifies others for sure, but it benefits you. That when we bless other people and we get to hear stories of how people are hearing the gospel in Michigan or Germany, and we're not even there, but we're a part of that. And it's a lot of fun. And you know this. When you've given and when you've stepped out, you've never said, like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I could have went to Chick-fil-A one more time. Like, you've never said that. Not when it mattered. Not when it was about the mission of Jesus. Not when it was helping people know God. You've never said that. And so why, why do we resist? And take steps in that direction this morning. That's kind of what it's looked like for us. I would encourage you to pray, to commit. What does it look like for us to grow in our generosity as a single guy, as a single girl? What does it look like for me to gather my roommates together as we enter the holiday season to be generous? What does it look like to gather my spouse and our kids and teach them Christmas isn't all about you. In fact, it's not about you. It's about Jesus who gave to you. And out of that, we celebrate gifts and that's all fun, but we also give to others. What would that look like? What would that look like if we did that individually? What would that look like if we did that as a church? Listen, I don't know your experience with money. I don't know if this is awkward for you. I imagine for some of you it is. But I want you to wrestle with the tension. I want you to wrestle with the tension of how can I grow in my generosity? What does that look like today with what I have in light of what Jesus has given me?
I want this for you personally, but I also want it for us collectively. We've been talking about this idea of love moves. It's going to be our calling card as a church. But listen, I don't want, it will not be just a catchy, cute phrase on a graphic. It's not going to be something we just talk about. And I want to see it happen. I want to see it move. As we grow as a church, I want to see our love for Jesus move in our devotion. So we come to church on Sundays. That that's a real thing. In our devotion, that we read scripture together and pray together. That our love moves us in our devotion vertically, but it also moves us horizontally. It also moves us to declare the gospel, to demonstrate the gospel in our city and in our world. And so we're going to end today really, really practical. Uh, We have two key partnerships locally in the city of Phoenix that we're trying to develop. Uh, And I want to just let you hear from them in just practical ways, not only with your treasure, but with your time and with your talent that you guys can begin to commit, that we can as a church can commit to be generous. And so uh, Hope Women's Center is one of those. Uh, They have different locations in the city. One is right down the street from us. And they're doing a ton of great things in the city. We've been over there. We've gone to a banquet. We've gotten to partner with them in a couple ways. And we just want to grow in that. So Tammy Abernathy is uh, gracious enough to join us. She's the director of Hope Women's Center. And she's going to come now. Tammy, you can go ahead and come up and speak to us for a second. You guys welcome Tammy as she comes. Good morning. Thank you for letting me be here with you this morning. I'd love to start with just the video, if we could, first, because it's going to give you a glimpse of some of the women and children that we serve. So, is that okay? Yeah. Step aside. I felt free. And I, I am other person. The stories that we hear on a daily basis is just heart-wrenching. That no matter how deep our situation is, that they can give us a hand up. I'm a single mom. I mean, before I had no support, nobody coming here. The support's right there. It's giving me so much strength and hope. We just want these ladies to know that we are here to love them, to accept them where they're at, and the door is always open that they can come back for help. But it was something different. They touched my heart. They touched really deeply my heart, and they changed my life. So at Hope Women's Center, we exist to help women and teen girls find their way out of crisis. Whatever difficult life situation they are facing, whether that's an unplanned pregnancy, poverty, domestic or sexual abuse, family conflict, single parenting, whatever her difficult situation, we want to love and walk with her through that, but we also want to build a long-term relationship with her, and we want to give her the tools she needs to make positive choices for her future and the future of her family. We have three centers at Hope Women's Centers. Um, Phoenix is a few miles from here at 16th Street in Thomas. We also have a center in the East Valley and in Coolidge. And most of the women that come to our centers self-report to us an income of zero to $15,000 for a woman with multiple children in the family. 
So they are coming out of extreme poverty, often struggling to meet their most basic need, whether that's food for their children, one of the most requested items in our resource room is toilet paper, things that we often take for granted. These women are doing the best that they can to help meet these needs for their family. They are also coming to us in relational isolation. They don't know how to connect to resources around them. They're coming to us in crisis and in significant emotional pain. So at Hope Women's Center, what we do is to offer a holistic approach that seeks to meet a woman's physical need, her emotional need, and her spiritual need. Most of the women that come come initially for that physical need. They need diapers. They need food. They need something today for their crisis in their family. But to get those needs, they have to engage with our programs. And it is through the programs that we can begin to reach that emotional and spiritual need. All of our programs are free to the women and families that come, and they consist of a free educational program. They can take classes on life skills topics such as parenting, English as a second language, nutrition, family conflict, grief and loss. They can take Bible study classes, and every time they're taking a class, they're interacting with a Christian volunteer. All of our classes are taught by volunteers. So they're interacting with that Christian volunteer, building a relationship, and then they're earning the points that they need to get their material resources. We do individual mentoring with women where we can bring the gospel specifically to her situation, to really walk with her through whatever difficulty she is facing. We do biblically-based support groups, especially with around the topics of domestic violence and sexual abuse, so that she knows within a safe community she can share her struggles, and she's not alone. And again, we can bring God's word into her situation. We have a free children's program, so her children can come and be safe at the center while she's participating in our programs. We have the material resources that are donated by the community, and that is food, toilet paper, diapers, clothing that she's able to get when she is engaged with the programs. And then we have a program working specifically with birth moms right now whose kids are in the foster care system loving and coming alongside and supporting her. So throughout everything that we are doing, we are weaving in the gospel of Jesus Christ um, into her situation because we know that we can help meet that physical and emotional need, but unless we bring Christ, we are not helping impact her, not only eternally, but to really receive the deep hope and healing that is found in Christ. So how can you as Phoenix Bible Church be involved? There are lots of ways. Um, serving is just an opportunity to be a channel for the love of Christ to your neighbors. I mean, again, this is a, a center and a community just a few miles, right here in your community, just a few miles away. So it's loving your neighbor, it's serving your neighbor, it's being that channel for God's love and grace to flow through you to these women and their families. Men can serve. That's a number one question I get asked is, you're a women's center, how can men help? Absolutely, men are integral to the ministry at Hope Women's Center. Women can serve, teens can serve, families can serve together. Um, so there are lots of ways to be involved. Our classes are all taught by men, women, and couples that teach together. We have a marriage class we've just started that a couple can do together. The women love when we have men teach a class because their experience with men has often been a very negative one. And so to see a positive role model, a male that's serving, is a beautiful thing for them. Um, mentoring one-on-one, -on -one, being trained to be a mentor. Of course, women do mentor women, but we also have the partners of the women that come that oftentimes would be open for mentoring. Serving in our children's program, serving in just sorting donations in our resource rooms, helping do donation drives for us. Um, serving together as a group. Yesterday I had a group of about 25 different 
singles, couples, and families that came and served and spent three hours and did just an incredible amount of work at our Phoenix Center um, just to get the center ready to, again, to continue to serve through the next few weeks. So there are many, many ways to be involved in giving of your time. We also talk about giving of your talent. Um, just like Tim preached this morning, we all have gifts that God has given us to be used to serve him and to serve within the body and out in our community. So I know you have a God-given gift, and I promise you we can find a place for that and serving at Hope Women's Center. And then also giving of your treasure. We are financially funded by the body of Christ. We want to be able to be free to share Christ in absolutely every part of our program. And so it is the body of Christ that supports us. Whether, again, it's buying shampoo or toilet paper for our resource room, whether it's giving $10 a month to be able to allow us to offer a class to a woman, um, or whether it's directing some of your tax dollars as we qualify for the Arizona charitable tax contribution. Whatever it is, there are ways that you can be a part of serving. So again, just I, I want to echo what Tim said about the grace that when we oftentimes don't know really truly understand grace until we pour it out and give it to others. And I promise you, all of our volunteers and staff would tell you that God has transformed us significantly more than even I believe he transforms the women that he gives us the privilege to minister to. Because that's just how God works. The more we give, the more he transformationally um, blesses and enriches us. So I would love to answer any questions after if you have any. So thank you, Tim. Thanks, Tammy. Thank you. Tammy has a table at the back, uh, right in the middle, and so you can just go back there, ask more questions, sign up to serve. Uh, Corey and Kelly Neal in our church are kind of taking ownership of, of local missions for us, how we get involved, how we connect people to serving in different ways. And so uh, she's met, Kelly Neal's met with Tammy. We've been to the center a couple times. It's kind of ready-made for us just to plug in and go. Uh, and so we just need to start doing that. And so you can go back, talk to Tammy. Kelly will be back there as well. And then the second opportunity we want to talk about this morning, just a practical way to live out this generous life, is uh, Verde Park. Uh, if you've never been, it's right in our backyard uh, of our school. And this neighborhood, if you don't know much about the neighborhood, is a high-need neighborhood that we can influence and be generous with. Stephen Frankie heads up that and leads a lot of that in this neighborhood. And so we want him to come up. Stephen, you can come up now and talk about what that could look like. Welcome Stephen up. Hello everyone. Well, I want to introduce uh, Steve Lappin. I actually do the after school program across the street at Verde Park, um, but 25 years ago, uh, an organization was started to help people in this neighborhood, and over here, and Steve Lappin is here to talk about that. Thanks. Good morning. <laughs> it's gonna be hard to follow that. <laughs> That's a great ministry. Thanks for letting us share. Um, yeah, I've, I've been in this neighborhood for 25 years. I'm the director of Crossroads Youth Intervention, and I started doing street ministry in Tempe back in the 80s, and then I came here in 90. And I'll just tell you a quick story. A lot of prostitutes and addicts used to frequent this area. There's still some addiction, but not like it was. But it was unbelievable. It was a different community, a different time. And this square mile was actually the most violent square mile in Arizona, the Garfield neighborhood. So if you were doing work in Garfield, it was very risky, literally. And so, but we used to do a lot of street ministry, and, and uh, I would talk to a lot of the prostitutes on Van Buren, hundreds of them, every week. And I remember when I realized that when I would talk to these women about their children, everything would change when we would talk about their kids. All of a sudden, I had their attention. And I remember telling this one lady that was addicted to heroin, 
I said, listen, we have camps for kids and they're free. How about if your kids come and... So I remember when she brought her son to the Liberty House, which is about a quarter of a mile away, and he had this great big suitcase that he was dragging down the street that probably weighed about 200 pounds, and we signed him up for camp, and I just remember this lady weeping, but we led that little boy to Christ through that camp program, and so, um, but it, it really requires a lot of support in terms of volunteerism, finances, a lot, I echo a lot of what you said. Um, we'll be in the back if you want to find out more about our programs. But um, I think Stephen and I met about three years ago, four years ago. And uh, he got so involved down here that he decided to sell his house, Stephen and Nicole, and move into this neighborhood, which is awesome to be missionaries, basically, to this community. Would you guys, would, Nicole, would you stand up? Just give them a hand for doing that. Um, we have, we have some really cool events coming up. Uh, we're in the neighborhood every day, but some of the key events are coming up. I'm going to let Stephen share about that. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, it's for us with Crossroads, we do camps. That's my shirt. We do camps during the summertime, which is a big deal. But we have two single-day events that are coming up that are just huge to this neighborhood. Uh, one is, is actually this coming Saturday, so just six days away, and it's called the Beggar's Banquet. And we do it over at the Liberty House, and uh, we have 80 to 100, that's what we had last year, 80 to 100 people that live on the streets that come out for this. It's a really big deal, and we give them warm clothing. That's a big thing right now. It's super cold out there. And so we'll give them warm clothing, blankets, um, through AG, um, which was wonderful. We actually got hooked up with 100 uh, duvet covers, which are perfect. You can kind of cocoon yourself in that um, at night for these people that are living on the streets. And, um, but we need a lot of other stuff, including food, and we would love it if you could come to this event. It's this Saturday. Um, show up at 9 a.m. We'll get things started around 10 or 11 a.m., but it's, it's a big deal, not just to bring stuff to help them out, but to sit at the tables with them and just minister to them, minister the gospel to them. That's the fun part. So that's coming up in six days. We'd love you to, to get involved in that. The other thing is, is Christmas in the park, which as Pastor Tim was mentioning, that's right behind us over here in Verde Park. We have a partnership with the city of Phoenix where they allow us to use the park and put on this unbelievable event for 2,000 kids. And um, last year, it was amazing to see them show up at 4 a.m. The moms were coming at 4 a.m. And this is hard not to get choked up about uh, but at 4 a.m., they would line up, and they wouldn't get in until about 10 a.m. So for six hours, they're lining up for a $5 gift. No joke, $5, $10 max. Um, that's what we're looking for, a brand-new gift. And they would be lined up for their kids, and they'd come in, and we'd have the unbelievable opportunity to preach the gospel to them, to 2,000 kids and their families. This park is packed out. So, and the community depends on it. Uh, every year, they expect us to be there as, as, as much as it is to, to run some event like this. The energy that it goes in and resources, um, they expect it. So um, we're really asking for your guys' help in that. Um, it was amazing last year. Nicole and I, uh, we got our boys a couple of gifts. We got them remote control cars. I remember it was a, a red Corvette Z06 and a green Mustang. And they were $30 a piece. <laughs> and within two weeks, they turned those cars that I would have put up on the shelf into demolition derby. And they just 
broke them to pieces. It was ridiculous. It was $60, which is really tough. And um, this year, we're going to do things differently. And um, we still want to show them that we love them, but we want to give them gifts to give others. And I really encourage you guys to do that. I, I work with the kids' ministry, and two weeks ago, we talked about this. And you can tell them that Mr. Frankie said so, but every single one of them said they could give some of their gifts this year to help somebody in need which is special. That says a lot about your kids. Um, that's red class. So, but um, hold them accountable. Hold them accountable to that because they said that. And um, we just tried to paint that picture of generosity like Pastor Tim was talking about today in terms that they would understand. And um, again, it, it's such a great opportunity. If you go the day after Thanksgiving, Walmart, I know every year, like Clockwork has Hot Wheel five packs for just a few bucks. You could get 500 of those if you want. I'm just kidding, but as many as you can. Um, balls, I mean, that's a big thing. Soccer balls, basketballs, things like that. Um, that's a big deal. We're also looking for candy donations. We fill up bags for them. Um, any, any kind of talents that you guys might have or resources that you have, business owners in here, small business owners, we're looking for collection bins, please. Um, but please help us with this. This is a big deal. We don't want to let them down. They depend on it every single year. And um, anything that we get over and above, as far as present-wise, we don't put in a storehouse. We actually take it up north uh, to the Apache, Hopi, and Navajo reservations. We make a trip up there, and we give it to them and bless them. So the impact is huge, and um, we really do appreciate all that you guys do. And um, we'll be in the back after the service so you can get more details on what to get and how you can get involved. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Tim. So these are just two practical ways we could start doing this as a church. These guys will be in the back, so go talk to them, pray about it, learn more. Uh, the big thing that Stephen talked about, next week you guys can start bringing those Hot Wheels or whatever gifts you want to bring, and Stephen and those guys will collect them and begin to collect them, I believe, for December 12th. So we have about a month to just pile up gifts in that lobby and then give it away to some kids in need. And so uh, let's be generous as a church. Let's, let's let that be our hallmark, that we just don't sh share stories about how people help us get started, that we're able to send that out through church planning, through our devotion, through demonstration, through all kinds of things like we talked about today. Let's, let's do that as a church. Let me pray, and then we'll move into a time of response. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you just for an opportunity to be generous. God, I thank you that you have been generous with us, that you sent your son Jesus to give his life for us, and that we can respond in generosity to others. I thank you for Hope Women's and what's going on in this neighborhood and just how you are uh, changing things. There's literally changes taking place because people who know God are modeling who you are to this neighborhood and to this city. And so help us to be a part of that. Help us not miss that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.